This is episode 503 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. We are living in strange, confusing, chaotic, and ever-increasing dark times. I mean, just look around. And living in these times, what are we to do? Who do we trust to point us in the right direction? Or better yet, how do we discover the wisdom of God for our lives that we so desperately need right now? Where do we begin to look for his wisdom? And is his wisdom something like the force on Star Wars? Is it an attribute or characteristic or power of God that he lends to us for a season or for a particular purpose? I mean, is it like a possession we borrow for a time or is it something else? Let me make a bold statement. I firmly believe God can and will speak to you about anything he wants using whatever verse you may be studying right now, Old or New Testament, it doesn't matter. Why? Because he is God and he is sovereign. So join us today as we look at one verse chosen at random, Proverbs 21.1, and we'll look at it in such a way as to determine precisely what it says and then glean from it the wisdom from God we so desperately need today, especially as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. We've uh, talked about the higher Christian life for quite a while, um, and I've shared with you that as our nation gets darker, as our culture gets darker, as Satan and the spirit of Antichrist begins to um, expose himself a little bit more, that uh, spiritual battles will begin. You'll find members of your own household uh, becoming enemies of you, um, precursors to the things in the book of Revelation. Uh, the various four horsemen of the apocalypse and stuff of that nature. We've talked about that for months. Matter of fact, we've actually hinted about it for years. Never saw the coronavirus coming. Never saw that. Uh, And it was a genuine virus, and it affected a lot of people, and many people died. We had a death here even in our own church. Um, Most of us had it. Did not see the vaccine coming. The vaccine that's allegedly supposed to cure you, that's what vaccines do, by the way. When you take a vaccine for smallpox, you don't get smallpox anymore. When you take a vaccine for the coronavirus, you still get the coronavirus and you have to take booster shots and it seems like it never ends. And if you don't take the vaccine, then uh, it looks like our culture today and even our world is going to marginalize you. You're going to lose your job. I mean, didn't see that one coming, did you? Out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, that's What you talk about all the time is the vaccine and then what's happening in Afghanistan and inflation turning around and and just amazing things beginning to happen. Drought out in the West to the uh, point that uh, there's going to be, there are currently massive crop failures and and farmers are uh, just slaughtering their cattle early because they can't afford to feed them right now. We got wildfires in California, worse than they've had in decades, that they're saying could possibly keep burning to December. And this is just in our nation, and it's happening worldwide right now. And so one of the things that we've been focusing on is as we see this day approaching, as we see the events take place that Jesus said would take place, 
soon before he returns is we need to get our spiritual house in order. We need to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. We need to focus on our spiritual life. Hence the whole conversation we've had about a higher Christian life. I've sent out, I don't know, 30, almost 40 podcasts and I try to do it. Um, I try to do it daily. It's very difficult, but I try to at least four or five times a week to send those out to encourage us to, to grow in our spiritual life. And, and for some of us, we have. For many of us, it's been a marginal change. For a lot of us, not, we haven't taken the time at all because, I don't know, we're too busy. Uh, it's too hard. It's too difficult. Okay, okay. Prior to us talking about the higher Christian life, we talked about being a faith prepper. Faith prepper is someone who see, or a prepper is someone who sees a, a possible contingency in the future and plans for it now. Seven years of, of feasting, the, the plan for seven years of famine. We talked about doing that with your faith, with your spiritual life, to while things are relatively calm, draw as close to the Lord as you possibly can, which evolved over into the higher Christian life, which moves over into the area we're talking about now. And a simple question is this, how do we respond during dark times? What does the church do? We've never known dark times. I mean, we've known times of apathy and we've known times of haphazardness, but we've never known a situation like Christians are facing in Afghanistan right now or in communist China or in other countries. Never have. We come to church when we want and we, uh, you know, don't. And, you know, we have a luxury of having dozens of Bibles at home and Bible apps and free software and everything we can do to grow and give us tools to grow in our relationship with the Lord. But by and large, we, we don't because we're too busy baking a living and taking care of our possessions and doing the things that we want to do. Okay. I, you know, I got that. I live in the same country and the same culture that you do. And I have been sharing with you almost, sometimes it seems like a shouting in the darkness, sharing with you that we're running out of time. We're running out of time. And if you, if you can't see, just looking at secular media, what even they're reporting, if you can't see the deception going on right now for some sort of reason that nobody can figure out, you truly have blinders on. I mean, who do you trust? Do you trust the media? Do you trust the educational system? Do you trust our government? Do you trust the court system? I mean, who do you trust now? Do you trust the church to do what is right always? It's, um, it's shocking what's going on. So how do we respond during dark times? And the biblical answer is this. We have to have wisdom. Not our wisdom, not the wisdom that comes from us or what we've learned or our deductive thinking or something of that nature. Well, we have to have God's wisdom. I need to know what to do, God. I need to know how to respond, God. I need to know what your will is, God. I need to be able to hear your voice, God. Hence, the entire higher Christian life where we're trying to learn how to experience the uh, Holy Spirit. I need to learn how to experience your word. I need to have a deeper relationship with Christ because if you remember this verse, which gave birth to the whole leaving Laodicea book we wrote, I don't know, five or six years ago, it talks about the wisdom of God. 
found in Christ who became for us the wisdom of God and also revealed to us in the Proverbs. This incredible closing of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Listen carefully to what it says. But of him, because of him, God the Father, you are in, not aligned with, are next to in Christ Jesus. Last week and the week before, we've been talking about nothing but the Holy Spirit and these things I've been e emailing you almost daily. And it's talking about what it means to have the Holy Spirit live in us, what it means for us to be in Christ. And it's this incredible gift that's been given to us because of God's grace and mercy. Because of God, we are in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? It means that he now became, came to be for us. It's not something he possesses that he will give to us sparingly, miserly like Ebenezer Scrooge, but he in his nature, he in the essence of who he is, he is for us, became for us, meaning, meaning we didn't have it before we had Christ, wisdom from God. I want wisdom from God, where do I find it? In Christ Jesus. I need righteousness. Where do I find the righteousness? In Christ Jesus. Sanctification, living a holy life, the higher Christian life, it is found in Christ Jesus. My redemption is not something that I work for and strive for and given to me. It's like a reward for a properly lived life. It is in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said in John 14, I cannot emphasize enough how you need to study that chapter verse by verse, phrase by phrase, even word by word. Jesus said that he will pray to the Father and he will send us another helper, paraclete, comforter, one who comes alongside the spirit of truth. The word another is allos. It's not heteros, it's allos. Allos means another of the exact same kind. Heteros means another, but of a different kind. I will give you another car. You have a Ford, I'll give you a Chevy, but it's still a car. I will give you an Allos car. It is identical, same scratches, same dents, same mileage, a, an absolute perfect image, a replica of what you already have. Jesus says, I will give you an exact person just like me to live in you. And that's the Holy Spirit, who, since he's just like Christ, provides for us, became to be wisdom, sanctification, righteousness, and redemption in him. Hence, the whole higher Christian life, need to grow close to the Holy Spirit, need to understand him, and need to be able to look at God's word and begin to take whatever time or steps necessary to find this wisdom of God. How do I do that? And why is that important? In Canada, as you know, they've actually taken pastors and thrown them in jail, in jail, charged them with crimes, some a felony, for doing nothing more than choosing to have church services. The uh, Canadian Health Department or whatever they call it is a little more draconian than ours is at this particular point in time. And so some of these pastors would say, no, we have a biblical right. I have a mandate before the Lord that we're to assemble together. The church is a called out assembly. You can't have a church 
and do it by Zoom. It doesn't work that way. And so these pastors would come together. They would send SWAT teams out and actually arrest them, and they've thrown them in jail, and they've run up hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, legal bills. But that's okay. That's Canada. They don't have the Bill of Rights. They don't have what we have. This is a man named J.D. Hall. Pastors a rather small church, like our church in Sydney, Montana. Montana is a good state. Montana is the, the kind of state that people, conservatives, move to. And J.D. Hall, it's a terrible picture of him, but it uh, lets you know exactly what he's like. J.D. Hall, is, oops, sorry about that. Uh, J.D. Hall is no slouch when it comes to preaching the truth. He is confrontational. He, um, he, will, he will get in your face. He will um, confront sin, just like um, Ray Comfort does. Stuff of that nature when he's pro proclaiming the gospel. He's a really, really good guy. And this picture of him literally is his demeanor. You know, um, this is J.D. Hall. This is the church. I just took this on uh, Google Earth of... Uh, his church. He happened to, like you and I would on June 19th of this year, went into this convenience store. Town Pump is kind of like our Circle K or our QT down here. There's a lot of these, these convenience stores in Montana. And he went into Montana, into this, um, into this convenience store, just minding his own business. Of course, unlike many of us, J.D. Hall views everything that he does as an opportunity to evangelize. And he got into a heated discussion with this activist, this transgender man named Adrian who dresses like a woman and demands to be called by her pronoun. Now, I don't need to tell you how crazy that is, but he got into a discussion with this lady here, and his conversation was this in this discussion. Remember, this woman, man, man dressed as a woman, is, a, um, is an activist. She actually tried. This came from her uh, GoFundMe page where she's trying to raise money because somebody has communicated hate speech to her, which happens to be J.D. Hall. Anyway, the conversation went like this, this typical J.D. Hall. It went like this. No, you're not a woman. You're a man and you need the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. I would strongly suggest you repent of your sin of transgenderism and, and, and surrender your life to Christ. I mean, it's, it's a confrontational, rather direct, true gospel presentation. She was highly offended, so she called the police. The police on June 19th of uh, this last year filed hate crime charges against J.D. Hall because they said that he was harassing her. They said his words didn't line up with her perceived gender. And so therefore they have charged him with a felony, which is a federal crime now of hate crime and hate speech against her. And if that's not bad enough, on July 15th, Less than a month later, J.D. Hall got a letter from the legal counsel of the corporation that runs all the town pump convenience stores, banning him from ever setting foot on them again. Here's what it says. Dear Mr. Hall, this letter serves as notice that effective today, you are prohibited from entering all town pump convenience stores, town pump flying J truck stops located in the state of Montana. 
This ban includes the entire premises of these businesses, including sidewalks, customer parking lots, employing parking lots, alleyways, and all property owned by these locations. Failure to comply will result in char a charge of criminal trespass. By copy of this letter, we are notifying all pertinent law enforcement and all county attorney offices statewide that we are prohibiting you from these properties. Well, that can't happen in our country. I mean, after all, he hasn't been uh, convicted of a crime. He's just been charged of a crime, and therefore he's prohibited from uh, entering into any of these convenience stores. And the company has notified all the attorney generals of um, uh, the county district attorneys and all police departments that this action has happened. They don't even do this to convicted pedophiles, but they did it to him. Now, this doesn't happen in America, but it does, but it does. In Atlanta, this is a pastor. I won't mention his name. He pastors the Grady Piney Grove Baptist Church. This is a picture of the inside of their sanctuary. It's rather a large church in Atlanta. And this particular pastor has now laid down a mandate for all his church members that said, you are prohibited from coming to church and worshiping with us unless you are fully vaccinated. Now, all of a sudden, something like a vaccination has become the driving point of fellowship among Christians. And this is happening all over our nation. How is that possible? And, and when that does happen, what do we do? Do we just blindly walk by or do we somehow try to determine exactly what God's wisdom is and what his desire is in these kind of issues? Here are some questions that uh, people are asking right now. Matter of fact, if you go on Facebook, you will be shocked at some of the things you see. Uh, do I or do I not get the jab? I mean, I got half these people over here that are telling me it's no big deal, get a jab, you're doing it for the team, take one for the team, you're doing it to help other people because if you get a jab, we get herd immunity because once you get the vaccine, using that as an example, then everybody will never get the coronavirus again. Well, that ain't exactly what's happening. Have you noticed? Well, no, yes, it is, because um, in the hospitals, 99% of the people that have come down with coronavirus that are on ventilators and intensive care, 99% of them are the unvaccinated. And we believed all of that until hospitals begin to say, if you're not fully vaccinated by September 15th, in Krista's situation, I think it's October 15th, you will lose your job. And nurses by the tens of thousands are beginning to say, now, since I'm gonna lose my job anyway, let me tell you what's really going on in the wards. Let me let tell you, we're hands on, we're not administrative that's sending out these news releases. Let me tell you what's really happening, that it's about a 60-40. 60% vaccinated are coming down with coronavirus, 40% unvaccinated aren't. And, and it's like, well, why the agenda? Why, what's going on here? Why, why is all this happening? You find doctors, and I'm just, again, I'm not making an issue of this, but it is one we're gonna talk about today. You find doctors that are coming out and um, PhDs and scientists and stuff like that are coming out and they're taking a very strong, don't 
take the vaccination. Well, you got all these other people over here, these experts are saying, take the vaccination. You got a ton of experts over here that say, don't take the vaccination. Who do you believe? I mean, really, who do you believe? The government, the media, you know, uh, uh, many, many thousands of doctors say it's okay. Your personal doctor will probably tell you it's okay. Then you got this group over here, this ever-growing group over here that says, don't take it. What are we supposed to do? One of the things that I try to determine is which, which of these two sides costs the most. Over here, we're just going to party line. I mean, that's the assumed answer. It doesn't cost anything. Every one of these doctors, nurses, professionals over here that are coming out and saying, don't take it, this ever-growing group of professionals is costing them their job, is costing them sometimes their medical license, it's costing them dearly, and yet they feel this compulsion to let people know it ain't exactly what you're being told. I don't know what to do. I'm just a, I just work at a an auto supply store, and, and I don't know what to do. I've got a family. Do I take the jab or not? I mean, what happens if my family says that unless I get the coronavirus, I can't see my kids or my grandkids or be invited to family gatherings? I mean, what am I supposed to do? I mean, what if it's required by my employer? Where else am I going to get a job to work? I have to support my family. What if I lose friends over this? What if I'm not allowed to go to church over this? What if I get arrested? There's so many opinions. I mean, who do I trust? What does God want me to do? And by the way, I'm not telling you that here today. I want you to have the tools to be able to hear from him specifically for you. What am I supposed to do? This voice is yelling and this voice is yelling and now all of a sudden it's getting more difficult just to live my life. I mean, the idea was that if we got vaccinated, I can't get the coronavirus, so I don't need to wear a mask anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm, you know, I, I should go anywhere I want, and, but that's not exactly what's happening now, is it? What am I supposed to do? Well, what we're going to do today is I just want to give you some tools to help you learn how to discover the wisdom of God in his book. Now, before we go any further, I want you to know that what you're holding in your hand is not just any book. It's, a, it's God's inspired book. And I firmly believe after studying this thing for 40 years, that every verse Every consonant, every vowel, every punctuation mark, everything in this book is placed there by design. And God can speak to you in every single verse about a situation you're facing right now. You can turn to numbers and you can read about how many people were in this tribe holding up this insignia and something that took place 5,000 years ago. And God, if he chooses, can still speak to you about what you're, whatever you're struggling with through every passage in this book. True? So here's what I did. I figured that there's a lot of you in here Instead of me cherry picking something and making a sermon out of it, I figure there's a lot of you in here that read a proverb a day. In other words, you know, it's the fifth of the month, we read Proverbs chapter five. If that's not your practice, good night, it needs to be your practice. So if that was the case, and I assume you didn't have time to read it this morning because you're getting ready for church and everything, the last proverb that you read was Proverbs 21. So I just took the first verse. 
I mean, we didn't go down and try to make it. We'll just take a first verse, one verse, bam, on the proverb you would have read yesterday. God, if this is true, if I can find wisdom, then here is this passage from Proverbs 21.1. Show me, show me how to experience this passage. And now I just want to give you some of the tools that uh, we're going to do. When you want to look at God's word and when you want to... Um, understand it, you need to realize you cannot just read it haphazardly. I know um, when I was in college, if I really liked the Civil War, then, uh, and I read a history book on the Civil War for my pleasure, I can skim if I want, I can kind of look at the pictures, I can get general gist, I can read about the Battle of Antietam, and I can say, well, you know, I've already read that, let me go back over here, and we'll look at First Bull Run or something of that nature. I'm at my leisure to do what I want, spend as much time as I want, skim as I want, just to satisfy some longing inside of me. But if I'm in a master's program or a doctor's program getting a degree in American history and my dissertation or my thesis is on the Civil War and the Battle of Antietam, I don't have the privilege or the, the grace, the freedom to just skim it. I have to study it. I have to look at everything and all these other sources, and, and I, have, I have to know that particular thing better than anybody because I have to defend it in front of a group of professors in order for them to sign off on my advanced degree. It works exactly the same way with God's Word. The days of skimming and just, oh, well, I'm just going to read a chapter today, maybe a chapter tomorrow, and, and kind of think that you're grabbing hold of it are over. We can't do that anymore. You'll very seldom find God speaking to you if you do a flyover of Scripture. I'm not saying it's not good to read the Bible in a year and all that kind of stuff, get a general gist of it. You should, but you need to add to that some deep study of God's word. Lord, what are you saying to me in this obscure passage that we just picked? I mean, if today was the 23rd, we'd be looking at Proverbs 22, verse 1. And so, God, can you speak to me through here? And if so, what are some tools that I need? The first are what they call exegetical. In other words, we're going to take the text and we're going to figure out exactly what it says. I need to know what it says. And then, most important, I need to know what it means. And the way I try to figure out what it means is I ask questions of the text. And, and actually, you can actually begin by asking questions of the text. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Well, who's the king? And, and a heart, what is, I don't even know what that means. What heart? Is that heart like my beating physical heart? Is it something else? And, and how does God turn rivers of water? I mean, I got an image of what that is. And, and what's the whole purpose of this? And God, can you show me what you're trying to say here? And I begin asking questions of the text. Once I answer those, I move into more of a devotional level of the text. So if I understand what it says, and then I understand what it means, and I've asked questions of the text, then in order for God to speak to me or me to grow closer to him, what is it, how does it apply to me right now, today, on this date where I live, in my relationships and my problems and what I'm struggling with? God, can you speak to me with just this obscure verse, or do I have to go back to just the red letter stuff of Jesus? Yes, he can. He wants to. 
And God, what are you saying to me in the scripture? And then I'm going to ask him questions about that. God, I mean, do I need to know something about this? Is there some truth in here that you're applying to my life? Why did you move me to this passage? What do you want me to do next? How do I apply it to my life? And then we move into the practical side, and this is how we actually begin to find the answers to these questions. I want to slowly read the passage out loud, out loud several times. When you read it in your mind, that's one thing. You've got one sense of the passage. When you read it out loud, you are speaking it, you are hearing it, and you're also reading it in your mind. It makes a profound difference. And then when I'm reading it out loud, I want to stop and emphasize each word and each phrase to make sure I miss nothing. And always look for the small words that mean so much. The kings, kings, lowercase k, this is not Jesus, the king. The king's heart is, oh, that's so encouraging. We'll talk about it in a moment. Not was, not will be, but right now is in the hand of the Lord. Like or as or such as or similar to the rivers of water, he, he, the, not the king, he, not me, he, God, turns it wherever he wishes. Once I've done that, I want to stop and ponder, and this can be any verse you're looking at, ponder what each word might mean based on our English understanding, and then I want to know what each word actually does mean. What does king's heart mean? And hand of the Lord or, or rivers of water or wherever and desire. What are you saying here, God? And then I want to do some research and figure out exactly what it actually means. How do I do that? How do I begin the application process to figure out exactly what God is saying? First of all, after I read this, I want to know what the implications are. If this verse is true, what does that mean for me? What does that mean under the government that I sit? What does it mean about the local school board or the mayor of my town? What does it mean about the people that are in Congress right now or the president of the United States? What does it mean about the Supreme Court or the media or my boss or are those people? What, what, is, what are the implications of this verse in all those areas of my life? God, why did you choose this passage to lead me to today. I mean, there's so many other passages. There's 931 verses just in the Proverbs. God, why this one today for me? And how do I apply this to my life once I understand it? Does it change my attitude? Does it change my actions? Does it change the way I feel about things? Is this verse further explained as I read down? Or is this verse further explained in other passages in God's word? Or is it a standalone verse? Well, I don't have time for all that. Then you will never, listen to me, you will never have anything more than a haphazard relationship with God's word where he speaks to you occasionally. But if you will take the time like you will do in every other area of your life, I want to go to school and I want to be a lawyer. Do you know how much reading you're going to do to be a lawyer? 
Well, it's worth it because there's a goal. What's the goal? I'm going to get my law degree so I can go out and, and make a bunch of money. Or I want to be a plumber. Or I want to be a, or get a college degree and be a school teacher. And I'm willing to read with great detail and underline every book they tell me I need to read to accomplish my goal. Yet I'm unwilling to do that with God's word because it just doesn't mean that much to me because I'm okay with God not talking to me. I'm okay with not experiencing his word. I can't emphasize enough that you will be surely lacking in faith when your faith is tested to the point that um, are, we're moving to right now. What principles or truths can I learn about God? And remember, remember, Bible study is not a marathon. Bible or a sprint. Bible study is a marathon. And if I do nothing more than the next week, but read one verse and God speaks to me every single day from that one verse and changes my life, I am far better off than if I read the entire book of Ephesians, got mental knowledge about it and never experienced it at all. Do you see that? It's not about the accumulation of what we're doing. It's about the depth of it. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So I want to find out exactly what it says. Got several words in this first phrase. King's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And so what I do is I have Bible software that I have spent quite a bit of money on that makes it very easy for me to take books like this and be able to use them online. But before we had the Bible software, what I did is I would use books like this. This is one of the best, as a um, complete word study dictionary of the New Testament. They also have one of the Old Testament. It's based on Strong's numbers. Strong's numbers is a simple uh, number that uh, a pastor, 150 years ago, basically signed to every Greek and Hebrew word. I don't have to know Greek and Hebrew. I just have to know what the number 374 means. And so when I'm looking at Blue Letter Bible, for example, at the passage, free, by the way, if your Bible study consists of nothing but Blue Letter Bible, you're like on a fifth grade level. That's, that's what Blue Letter Bible is. There's so much deeper that we can go by just spending a few dollars. Book, cost me $29. Probably gonna cost you about the same or you can subscribe to some software. I was gonna spend some time on this screen and show you how it works, but we've done that already. We've, if you wanna know, come Tuesday and I'll spend some time doing it on that. This is the Greek. What I'm looking at is the Hebrew. I didn't have my Hebrew when I think I actually gave it to justice, uh, but it just lays out for you exactly what the words mean, where they're found in scripture, and it's, it's more of a, it's more of a sophomore in college level uh, book than it is like a blue letter Bible or something of that na nature, which is like fifth grade. And then there's Kittles, which is more like a graduate level, but it's um, volumes and volumes and volumes, and it's very difficult because it's not tied to Strong's number. This will give you all you need. So all I did is I took a, a book, but I did it on software, and I simply looked up the words. I want to know what the words mean. I have, before I know what the passage says, this obscure passage, I need to figure out what it means. So the first, the kings. 
What does, it, what does it really mean in the Hebrew? It means a male sovereign ruler or one with power and authority over a kingdom. Okay. So there's a sovereign ruler who has power and authority over a kingdom. The king's heart. And the heart here in the Hebrew means the seat of one's inner nature. It's the innermost part of their being. It's the focus of their thought, their mind, their will, their emotions, their volition, their ability to be able to choose right and wrong, their conscience. What's inside a man, what makes a man who he is, the soul that we would talk about, although that's a different word here, the king's heart, mind, will, emotions, con conscious is, and that word is in the present tense. Small words mean so much. Is right now, not was, but is closed, or will be someday when Jesus comes back. But the king's heart right now is in the hand. Two meanings. It means a physical hand, and it also means the what comes with a hand, power, strength, possession, control, care. The king's heart, the ability to change the heart of a king is in the hand, the control, the care, the power, the strength of the Lord. Always look up what Old Testament phrase is used for Lord. Is it Elohim or is it Jehovah? This is the proper name of God for Israel. And it is the God of the burning bush. I am that I am. I am the ever-present one. The king's heart is currently in the hand, power, strength, and control of the ever-present one. The picture of God in the Old Testament who revealed himself to Moses. So I stop. This is just an obscure passage. I stop. Lord, what, uh, what does this mean? I mean, this is a truth from God that he led us to today, to learn wisdom from him, to be able to help us sustain ourselves in the dark times in which we're facing. What does it mean? And by the way, who is this king? And who is my king? Who's the king that supplies to me? We don't have a king that rules over us, but we do have a male ruler who is in control of a kingdom. We call it a nation. Our people allegedly elected him there. So we have Joe Biden. We've got the administration. We've got all these weird things going on. It's kind of scary and frightening. And, and sometimes if you'll read the news, you find out that they say things about Biden. He's not with it. And other people are making the decisions. And, and it was so much better under Trump. And all it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because this passage says that the very nature of who the king is for us, his heart, his heart is in the hands of God, of the ever-present one. So what does this passage say about the power of the king over me or the power of the king over anyone when I serve a mighty God, a powerful God, a sovereign God? This Verse contains two phrases. I read the first phrase, you encouraged? I'm discouraged. Well, I don't know. 
I don't know. I see God's sovereignty and his power. I see that the king's heart, the ability to change his mind and do whatever he wants is in the hand of the Lord, but I just don't know what the Lord's going to do with that. And I don't really know if God is good and God is gracious because maybe I had this demented view of God that God the Father is like my earthly father and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I don't know. So where do I go? Now we look at the last part of this passage and I'm taking time to try to experience him. Like the rivers of water, he, God, turns it, the king's heart, wherever he wishes. Before I begin, you need to understand what it says here. Like is a contrast. In other words, it's, you know, like rain when it pours down, so the Holy Spirit will absolutely saturate our land. All right, I got that picture. I've seen the rain, so it's kind of like that. So like here is a contrast or example. The pronouns he are not you, it's not the king, but it's actually God, the sovereign one, and it, it refers to the king's heart. Okay, beginning to understand this a little better. What does it say? It says, like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. I go back, I wanna know exactly what the passage says. In case you're interested, it takes about a half hour to go through and look at what the words mean in the original language. And then there's this reflection time for me that even takes longer than that. But the true aha moments, the true wonder of God's word are found in the details. They're not found in the flyover. Oh, the uh, king's heart uh, is in the hand of the Lord. Uh, like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Whatever. Let's move on to the next one. I only got 10 more minutes. I got 30 verses. I need to hurry up and read it. Don't. That has got you where you are spiritually. But to do better and to move on into a higher plane spiritually is going to take more time on our part to let God speak to us. And when he does, when all of a sudden you, you feel his presence in a verse and all of a sudden a burden is lifted and yes, yes, this verse is just as true as John 3, 16. Once that happens, it feeds a desire in you for more. Like, just as, in the same way, similar to rivers. This is amazing. It means a stream or a channel or a canal it's a natural body of water, uh, of running water flowing on or under the earth. When I, and by the way, water means exactly what it means in English, water. When I looked at commentaries, what the commentaries said about this, oh, this is a picture of a farmer out with irrigation ditches in his farm. And so what he would do is he would basically at the very top channel the water down these ditches and then hold the water off and come over here and open them in those ditches. That's not what the word rivers mean. I mean, it's talking about flowing water, even under the ground, a body of water. The idea of rivers is more than just water in an irrigation ditch to water crops. I appreciate you know, the, the take on that. But the fact is, God is sovereign and can do anything he wants. He, that's God, turns it. That means to stretch out, to extend, to direct the course, to determine the direction. He turns it wherever, and that's a compound word. And wherever in the Hebrew means all and direction. He turns it 
any and all and every direction he desires or wishes. And the word desire here means to delight in, take pleasure in. I am God and I can do anything I want. Sometimes God brings evil kings to judge a nation because of their sin. That was the history of Israel. They didn't want to follow the good kings, so they get a whole bunch of bad kings, and then finally God took, took them and shipped them off into captivity. Sometimes God brings good kings on a nation in order to bless a nation. He does it whatever he wants, and he has a purpose behind everything. Just as rivers of water, he, God, turns it, directs it wherever, in any direction, in all direction, he, God, takes pleasure in or desires to do. So, all right, God, um, what are you saying about yourself? What can I learn about you? Well, I, you can learn that I'm sovereign, that uh, I can do whatever I want, that uh, I'm in total control of everything. You can't take a river of water and turn it in a different direction. And you know, you may have a different view when it says rivers of water. Again, a lot of the commentaries talked about, you know, just a, like a small little bit of water that, you know, you dam up and move the wood and it goes down these irrigate. Okay, if that's your vision of God, that's fine. I'm thinking about Niagara Falls. And if you've ever been there, it is frightening, the power of that water. You're on a Canadian side or the American side, it's on like 100 yards or longer to the other side. And I used to think, what would happen way down there with this little bridge if you fell off the bridge? I mean, you're, just, you're doomed. There's nothing you can do. The power is so great. And just as God can change the direction of Niagara Falls if he wants to, which is impossible, he can also change the heart of any ruler he wants to, whenever he wants to, at any time he wants to, because he is God. True? Because he is sovereign. And so therefore he's sovereign in our world situation. God, you can change things if you want, but you haven't, so you must have a reason. Yeah, the reason may be something prophetically. The reason may be to bring judgment on our nation. There may be many reasons why that uh, he's not doing what we're praying he would do to make our life easier. But nevertheless, he is still God. And the greatest strength and power that you have is to pray to him and talk to him and believe him and have him speak to you even through an obscure passage like this. Well, I'm not even worried about the world right now. I'm just worried about my job. I'm worried about my doctor's report. I'm worried about my relationship with my husband or my wife. I'm, I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my retirement. I'm worried about everything. <laughs> but God can, just like he can change the direction of a river, can't he change the thing going on in your life anytime he desires, he takes pleasure in, he wants to? So are you discouraged or discouraged? If you're discouraged, it's because you have a small view of God and you always assume the worst about him. If you're encouraged, yes, my dad can do anything he wants. Why do I care? 
Why do I care? Well, you know, they're going to cheat in the next election coming up and then something's going to happen to Biden and Kamala Harris is going to be president. And she's going to be absolutely worse. And our militaries, you know, just got their, their, you know, their head handed to them in Afghanistan right now. And things are going really terrible. And, you know, where China's going to attack Taiwan and when they attack Taiwan, we're not going to be able to defend ourselves. Stop. Are any of that too big for God? He's got it. He can change anything he wants to at any time. And if he chooses not to, that's on him for a reason. Our job is just to pull close to him. Nobody promised us easy times. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, remember the verse? Will, promised, face persecution and tribulation. All right, Lord, if that's true, can you show me some other passages that can affirm your sovereignty? Sure. How about my life verse? Psalm 115, verse 3. Here's the verse in context. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. I mean, why should the pagan Gentiles, enemies of God say so? In all this stuff, where is your God? My life verse, our God's in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. The account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, God can deliver us from your hand, O king, but even if he doesn't, and you throw us in the fiery furnace and we die, let it be known to you and all around, we will not bow down or serve your God. That's faith. I will not have time to look at these two passages. I suggest you look at them when you get home. Romans chapter 9 talks about God's sovereign act, even in choosing Israel and hardening Pharaoh's heart. Acts chapter 4 is the amazing account where John and Peter returned from being threatened and chastised by the government at that time, and they broke out into this prayer of adulation. And one of the things they said was, God, the stuff that happened to us, you preordained it for your glory. You might want to look at that. It's not like, man, I told you we shouldn't have gone down there. Now we're in trouble. No, God designed it all to get the testimony and then shook the very house they were in with his spirit to give them a spirit of boldness. You might want to check those when you get home. So Lord, what, what, are, you, what are you saying to me? What, 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 what are we supposed to, to learn here? Well, number one, I realized that sitting up late at night watching Fox News and reading blogs or looking at Snapchat or all that kind of stuff and just getting more worried and more fretful about all the stuff that's going to happen is a ridiculous waste of time because you can't fix it. You can't control it. There's nothing you can do about it. But what you can do is draw closer to the Lord. Lord, show me the boldness. How am I to respond? What do you want me to do? My employer is going to start demanding that I take this vaccination. And I don't want to do that because of health reasons or whatever reason or religious exemption or I don't know when it's going to stop. Do I get this one? I'm not going to have to take booster shots for the next 14 years, six every six months? Probably. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. But if I do that, I'm going to lose my job. So Lord, I need your wisdom. What am I supposed to do? I got these people over here saying, if you lose your job, you're not providing for your family. You're worse than an infidel. I've got these people over here saying, trust God, stand for what is right. And what, what do I do? I'm caught in the middle. And because my faith is so low, I can't hear from you. We need to hear from him. And you can hear from him in every single verse if you will take the time 
Give him the time he deserves to study and see exactly what he says. This is how we stand during dark times. Because listen, um, it's not going to get better. The Bible says it's not going to get better. And if you remember in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus said that the, the primary attack of Satan in the end times will be the proliferation of deception about everything. You can't believe anything. This guy says this, this guy says this, this person says this, and everybody kind of believes it. It also talks about that, there, that they'll believe some sort of delusion or the lie, whatever that lie is. People will have this mindset that makes no logical sense anymore. I mean, we've lived through that for the last four or five years. It's insane, the stuff going on right now, and it's not getting better. Can you change it? No. No, God can, if he chooses. Can you change how you respond to it and how your children respond to it and the kind of faith that you have to thrive during dark times? Yes. Can you be the kind of person, if God ordains it, that we can be flogged and in the middle of a prison at midnight facing more persecution and singing praise songs to the Lord like those in the Philippian jail? Yes. Can God move a miracle and open the doors and let us all go free? Yes. Can he make us stay in there and pay the price? Yes. It's all about God. And the higher Christian life is when you surrender your life to him and give it to him, then what he does with it is his. I know exactly how God has spoken to me about the issues that we're facing, and maybe Tuesday I'll share them with you. But you need to hear it from you. You don't need to hear it from me, because then if you disagree, I'm the bad guy. You need to hear it from you from him. You need him to speak to you. And these are pressing questions that every single one of us are going to have to face. So I hope that you will take some of the things I've shared with you. If you need to know some resources to purchase, if you need to know how to use Bible software, there's a Bible software out there called Logos, which is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I I probably use 20% of it. It's so unbelievable understanding the things of God, but it's an expense. I mean, it'll cost you about, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks a month if you purchase, maybe $600, you know, finance 50, 60 bucks a month if you purchase it. Well, I can't afford that. No, but we can afford tickets to go watch a bunch of overplayed athletes play a ball game. You know, we can go buy $80 for some jersey, for some lost guy's name on the back because it's popular. People do what they want to do. If you want to learn I can point you in the right direction. If you want to buy some books, start there. But you must take responsibility for your own spiritual life and especially for your ability to hear from God by being able to go deeper in his word than maybe you ever had before. We looked at one verse today, chosen at random. I mean, again, it's just the way it fell on the calendar. If you read through Proverbs 21 yesterday, I can promise you, that you didn't look up the words as deeply as we just did, that you didn't medit probably meditate on them. You just kind of read through it because after all, there's, there's 31 verses in here and I've only given the Lord 10 minutes and so let me go through these as fast as I can. It doesn't work that way. If it did, 
we'd all be on top of our spiritual game. But most of us aren't. And the time for lethargy is over. Amen? I hope this has been a blessing to you. Let me pray.